0: So I started playing the longer games on OGS, not a whole lot of longer games, just two to be exact this past week, but I've been spending some of my go time studying and alternating between that and playing my games, so haven't been playing the games as frequently, at least this past week, but I wanted to report back on how the whole longer game thing is going. And first of all, and this is not really a uh, longer game thing, but more of an OGS thing, I do have to wait a little longer to get my games. I don't have to wait that much. It's only like a minute, but I've been spoiled by Fox, where the games are instant. And that's just using the auto-match feature on OGS, so I don't really know, I don't really um, make the custom games that float up on the on the bottom there. I haven't really done that as much. Maybe I I, I will if uh, I start to struggle getting games. But uh, I'm not sure. I, I know how I feel about the whole custom game thing because it's kind of grandfathered in from the KGS era, and I feel like it could get it could make matchmaking take a little longer to have the player base splintered like that. Uh, but anyway, that's another topic for another day. But what I've learned from playing these longer games, and by longer games, that's the default on OGS, which is 20 minutes of main time, plus, I think, five periods of 30-second bioyomi. Yomi. But what I've learned from playing these games is that these games, these longer games, are not so long after all. The way I feel like I'm playing... During the game, it doesn't feel like I have a whole lot more time. Like, I've got a hefty amount of time ahead of the five-minute games that I've been playing. 20 minutes to five minutes, that's a pretty big increase. And I do feel that I can think about the game in a little bit more of a complex and strategic way. I do find myself thinking of things that I haven't been able to think of in my shorter games. But it just doesn't feel like I have that much more time. And the one thing that's definitely more difficult about these longer games is there's one more thing I have to think about every time I make a move is, is this the right time to use my time? I didn't really have to think about that with the shorter games because I can just use the 30 seconds every time. And that's pretty much all I have to do. And like the only time I have to really think about something similar to that would be if I want to decide whether to use a byomi period or not, and that's rare, I, I reserve that for very critical moments, and so it's pretty easy to to think about that, and to add that to the to the uh, thinking of Go is gonna take some getting used to. Um, but yeah, I, I do miss the simplicity of not having to deal with that. But like I said, I've only been playing for a couple games, um, but. Let's see how far I can go with this whole thing. I, I do appreciate the fact that I can think a little bit more about some some of the deeper aspects of Go, and it's it's fun. It's fun. Welcome to Start Point, the show about Go for Go fans away from the board. Now, I mentioned several episodes ago that I was studying some joseki after a long period of time avoiding it because of conventional wisdom that studying joseki is not very useful for improvement. After you know some of the basic ones. Um, For example, my friend told me that it's more important to develop your intuition than to simply memorize Joseki. And I definitely agree with that. That it's important to train your intuition for what is a good move and what is a bad move in the opening. But I have been putting some time into this because, as with all conventional wisdom... I find someone who says the opposite of the conventional wisdom. Toongyo, a Korean professional who runs a YouTube channel called Go Inside, I think she has some of the best joseki videos on YouTube. And I've been following some of those videos in order to study my joseki. And in her first video, she talks about why it's important to study joseki before she goes into the actual ...studying of the Joseki. And if you want to go check it out on YouTube, uh, just search Go Inside Joseki, you'll find a video called Start Point One. Not to be confused with the podcast, but she makes a point about how learning Joseki can teach us intuitive truths about how to play Go. She makes a few demonstrations of players who make certain moves that don't really look like they know what they're doing because they haven't studied Joseki. And that made a lot of sense to me because when you look at a beginner game, you see a lot of strange moves. And I would say that if you look at a game between two beginners, that's kind of characteristic of the game is that you'll notice a lot of strange moves. As Go players, we don't often say particular moves are bad because a lot of the time they are playable, right? So we just call them strange. We say they're not Normal, right? And if someone were to say it's bad, you might say, you might whip out a pro game and say, look, this pro played this move. Why are you calling it bad? So we re- reserve the term bad typically for things that are unequivocally bad, like a self Atari or a clear misreading of life and death. But if you look at beginner games and stronger players' reviews of them, you'll notice a lot of people saying, This is a strange move. This is more normal here and things like that, right? If you're a beginner, you've heard someone say things like that. You can likely like 90% of the time consider this word (laughs) strange or unusual or weird to pretty much mean bad for all intents and purposes and normal to mean good. And in fact, in Toshiro's, Toshiro Kageyama's famous book called Lessons in the Fundamentals of Go, he says, quote, Go is the kind of game in which you are an expert if you can just keep on making ordinary moves, quote. So, in a way, Joseki is all, all about learning ordinary moves. The jazz legend uh, Miles Davis once said, There are no wrong notes in jazz, only notes in the wrong places. You can maybe say something similar about Go. It's not the move that you play that's the wrong move, it's the move you play afterwards that makes it right or wrong. It's a free way of thinking that encourages creativity, but in music and art there's a saying that it's important to learn the rules in order to break them. In other words, you have to learn the most conventional values and principles before you can attain freedom to go against them. This is something that you often tell beginners of any kind of creative endeavor who decide that all the rules laid down before them don't apply to them and they just start breaking all the rules from the get-go. It's important to know what has already been discovered first and then you can go out and explore. It's like when you um, present a difficult life and death problem to three different people, let's say. A DDK, an SDK, and a Don player, right? The DDK player says an answer, which is to capture the stone. The SDK player disagrees with the DDK and says that you should hane. And then the Don player comes in and chimes in and says, The DDK player was right. You need to capture the stone. But if you ask these players to explain why, it's revealed that the DDK player and the Don player, although they had the same answer, had completely different reasoning. And that the SDK player, if they were to continue with the DDK player's line, the DDK player would surely lose. So that's how a lot of board positions end up, where weaker and stronger players may agree on the move by coincidence. And a certain move may be quote-unquote correct. But if you don't understand why that move is played, it can be considered incorrect. So, it's technically a good or playable move, but people hesitate to call these moves bad because depending on how you follow up and depending on your level of understanding, it may not be bad. Of course, there are definitively bad moves. Just like in Jazz... Although you are free free to play whatever note you want in order to express yourself, I'm sure there are notes you could play that would result in a lot of raised eyebrows, and no jazz musician would consider that to be like a good note. So, okay, what does all this have to do with studying joseki? Joseki is an excellent teacher of normal moves. When you first learn your joseki, oftentimes a simple as night's move approach to the start point is one of the first joseki we learn right so we have a start point and then we have the knight's move coming up to it trying to you know challenge that corner the first thing you're taught is to back off right you back off what does that mean you play a knight's move on the other side and you're not really sure why you should do this at first but the stronger player teaching you the game keeps telling you to do it so you do it and you don't even understand how this could be even considered backing off right you might not even understand what you're backing off into or what you're backing off from. You start asking questions and they just keep telling you, hey, like, don't worry about it, just do it, right? And, and you're just kind of frustrated, like, I just want to understand what's going on. But you start to notice some patterns after some time, right? After letting this stuff sink in, you start to notice some common themes, right? Some people back off a little higher, right? You start, start noticing, hey, this looks like a back-off But they're not doing a knight's move. They're doing like a one space jump. And then sometimes you see, oh, this person's not backing off. They're kicking, they're kicking, and then they're backing off. But now you start to slowly internalize this concept of backing off when someone approaches. And the more and more you play, the more and more you understand why we do this. Now, obviously, there's a problem that everybody faces eventually. You've learned the art of backing off. You're ready for the knight's move approach. When suddenly they attach to your stone. And you're like, how do do I back off on that one? What am I supposed to do now? This is not the Joseki that I learned. You panic and you implode and you quickly realize that you can't win games just by knowing Joseki. You can't just memorize a whole bunch of Joseki and expect to win games just through that, right? People don't play on Joseki. Especially if they don't know the Joseki. Sometimes they may purposefully try to throw you off. Sometimes they just may not know the Joseki and they may be very strong at going with whatever they come up with. But that's not to say that by studying Joseki, you didn't learn anything. A little side anecdote before we move on. When I was young, I used to do Taekwondo, you know, the Korean martial art. I got all the way up to red belt, which is the last color before black belt, unless you count like the red and black belt that some places have. But I quit for whatever reason. And then I grew older and I have had an opportunity to do it again at a different place, except I had to start all over from white belt. And I got all the way up to red belt again, and then I had to move to California And I haven't practiced Taekwondo since, so I'm not a black belt in Taekwondo, but I am a double red belt, and I bet you you've never met a double red belt before. That's not a thing. But anyway, um, the Q Dan system in Go is derived from, not in Taekwondo, but like the martial arts, uh, Japanese martial arts Q Dan in Korean, uh, the the Korean equivalent is called uh, Kup and Dan. So the Dan is the same, but like Q is converted to Kup. And that's how the KBA, Korean Baduk ranks, are um, described as well. Okay, but that's not the only reason I brought up this whole Taekwondo story, bear with me. When I practiced Taekwondo, we did something called patterns. This is something where you get into formation and you perform a series of punches, blocks, and kicks, and all these sorts of martial arts move in a specific pattern, changing directions and positions. It's almost like a dance, right? And it's like a memorized piece. You do the, the same moves over and over again until you've got it memorized. Your form is good. And as you advance in skill and you get promoted, you learn more complicated patterns, right? Now, it's silly to think that if you ever got into a fight, your enemies are going to attack you precisely in the same order of the patterns, and you're just going to happen to know exactly like where to put your hands and feet to engage the enemy. Right? That's not going to happen. You're, no matter how many patterns you learn, no enemy is going to approach you in the way where the, just doing the pattern is going to fight them all off, right? Just like how, even if you learn joseki, you can't expect people to play the joseki you want to play. So then why did we learn these patterns in the first place? It's all about learning the normal movements. If you've never learned how to throw a punch your instinct might be to throw your fist over your head and charge up your attack and lean too forward while your elbow flares out and you throw this kind of weak, jiggly punch. But if you've practiced a punch over and over again in the correct form, feet planted firmly on the ground and your fist moving in a straight line towards your target and you've familiarized yourself with this normal or ideal movement, When you're in a less than ideal situation, the idea is that you'll be able to adapt based on what you know about the ideal situation that you practiced. So you may notice that it's a similar situation to what you've been practicing, but maybe your foot's in the wrong place. So you're more aware that something is off and you need to account for it. Whereas if you hadn't practiced this thing in in the first place, then maybe you wouldn't even be thinking about your feet being planted. I'll leave you with one more analogy. If you can't tell by now, I like analogies. Something I have found similar to studying joseki is practicing musical pieces. Now, music is another passion of mine, and when I used to spend hours every single day playing guitar, I would learn a lot of songs. And that doesn't sound like I'm studying much, like, I wasn't doing any theory or scales and things like that. I, I just wanted to learn songs. I just wanted to be able to play the songs that I liked. So, it seems like all that was really helping me to do was get better at playing the songs that I liked, right? It didn't seem like I was training for anything else or improving any other aspect of my musicality, right? But whenever I tried to improvise or compose something, all these things that I learned while playing these songs, I caught the reflections of them coming out into whatever I was trying to do. Like I had a little library in my head of all those songs that I learned and I could use them as creative tools, like a vocabulary. And I'm getting similar feelings with Go. When I learn joseki, I find myself in those situations where I would normally be lost as to what I'm supposed to do. But then I remember a similar shape in a joseki that I learned, and I tried to imitate it. Before, the, before learning this joseki, I was kind of, I would just stare at the board like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do here. And I would just make a best guess. And, you know, I might manage with what I guessed with, but it, it's sometimes nice to have that thing to fall back on and say, hey, in that one joseki that I studied, in a situation like this, you normally do a knight's move or something like that right and you can try it out it's it's at least at the very least a form of inspiration for what move you should play and of course that's not always going to work but if it fails then you have an opportunity to learn why it failed and why this situation is different from the joseki and Another thing is that I also really admire the beauty of some of these joseki. They have an inherent beauty to them. And it's just really pleasant to watch the way the stones develop. Like a beautiful song that you're learning by heart. And then when you play a game and you try to play this song, your opponent ruins it by changing the key and you have to improvise. Something like that. Anyway, one very valuable thing, one takeaway from trying to strengthen my joseki knowledge, is that it gives me a certain level of confidence. It's so obvious when you encounter someone who's not studied a joseki, and you play your move within two seconds, because you're just waiting for the next part of the joseki, and they're racking their brain over what to do, and you're just sipping your tea, because you know how the sequence goes already. That's not a bad thing to have during a game. That's definitely an edge. Now, before we move on, one disclaimer. Be sure to study the right level of joseki and the amount of joseki for the level you are at. If you're a DDK player and you're spending 90% of your time trying to learn this flying knife joseki, yeah, don't, don't expect to gain any benefit from that. Um, I don't think that you need to fully understand the joseki that you're studying. Honestly, there's some... Um, there's some very rudimentary Joseki that I feel like I still don't fully understand. Right? But you should kind of get a rough idea. And then you should also have put a lot of um the other skills under your belt. I would say Joseki is kind of a later, later game skill to develop. But... Anything that you're into studying, anything that inspires you to play more Go is definitely going to be a good thing to do. Who knows? Maybe you'll be a Joseki master. Uh, for a little bit of Go news, we've got the start of the Nongshim Cup or the Nongshim Shin Ramyun Cup. And that's, you heard right, that's the uh, cup sponsored by the company that makes the spicy ramen noodles, the instant noodles. And it's going to be held in person for the first time in four years. Uh, It's kicking off in Beijing. And this cup is a unique GO tournament because it's the face-off between the three kingdoms of GO, Korea, China, and Japan. And they each send in, I believe, five members on their team. And uh, several episodes ago, I mentioned that... The transatlantic pro team tournament used to be in a win continue format, and I didn't know what that meant. And after reflecting, I realized what win and continue means. And I think it's referring to the format of the Nongshim Cup, which is win and continue, which is where each country's um, players has an order let's say, one, two, three, four, five. And so this is how it works you have. Let's say you have Korea going up against China first. And their number one players face off. And if Korea loses, that number one player is knocked out of the tournament. And they move on to their number two player. China continues and plays against Japan next. And let's say China wins again. Japan's number one is knocked out. Now it's Korea's turn to play play China. China's number one plays Korea's number two. And let's say now Korea wins and China's number one gets knocked out. So basically... Each player on their team is a life, like in a video game, right? And so whoever is the last country standing after all of that is declared the winner. And this is a tournament that's going to be held in, I think, three sessions. The first session is in Beijing. The second session will be, I think, in Busan. And the third session is in Shanghai. The first session uh, is the one that happened this past week, so you can probably look up the results if you can't wait for me to res- report on them. The second one will be held from November 30th to December 4th in Busan. Uh, and that'll be five games. And then the third stage will be February 19th to February 23rd, 2024, and that's going to be in Shanghai. And that's going to conclude the tournament. So uh, look out for the results of that. And there has been a call for youth players for the 2023 Chouzhou... I don't think I'm pronouncing that right. Chouzhou? Q-U-Z-H-O-U. International children amateur team tournament from the AGA so apparently the AGA is going to send three amateur youth players which is the which, which is between the ages of eight seven and 18 and they're going to participate in this tournament but um, I mean they've they've sent out a call for some applications but by the time this podcast airs it's going to be past the deadline hopefully they find some talented individuals to represent the AGA in this tournament. that'll do it it's time for listener mail Alrighty, righty t- has written in again maybe i'll just call you ray i very much agree with the statement that beginners should not play bots these weak bots play nothing like humans that said the recently introduced human-like bot on ai sensei is pretty decent it plays many moves that feel very human it even misreads and blunders like humans do this will only get better over time. You should check it out. Check out that bot if you have the chance. Thanks for writing in. Uh, you know what? I haven't ch- tried the AI Sensei human-like bot. I will give it a try after this. But I do know that a lot of the weaker bots they they do um, you know misread and blunder like people do. They just don't misread and blunder like people do. And oh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll try to try the bot out and see. See what i think for myself uh, thanks for writing in full-time sky wizard the host of the youtube channel spirit animal uh, i have been watching your stuff a little bit uh, writes in thanks so uh he says hey i've been enjoying your podcast on my morning drive to work i feel similar to what you've been mentioning about rank anxiety and struggling to play i was actually running my own road to one dawn series on youtube and was playing a lot I felt pressure to continue improving and beat myself up on every loss. I got burnt out, life got busier, and I took a long break. However, listening to your podcast has been giving me that itch to play again. Recently started back up and just broke through my plateau of 5k. Feels good, man. Thanks for the content. Looking forward to more. I really appreciate you writing in. I don't know if I should call you full-time Sky Wizard or Spirit Animal. But anyway, uh, go check out his YouTube channel, Spirit Animal. He's got some cool videos... Where he's uh, talking through his games as well as um, I think he has some lessons with Twerda 3Don, which were are pretty useful as well. Um, but yeah, I you know, I think that it's important as Go players to not burn ourselves out. And it's good to take a break every now and then. I think that sometimes that we if we step away from the whole game for a while, we can reset and process some of the things we learned. And I think overall we should be playing in a sustainable way where you feel okay playing this way for an extended period of time if you're ever playing where like you're struggling and you know we're not pros we're not trying to make money out of this i mean at least i mean maybe you are (laughs) i'm not going to speak for you but i'm not right i'm not a pro i'm not trying to become like one of the best or anything i'm just trying to enjoy this game and improve the most that i can And, and that's just i'm trying to take it at a nice pace while still kind of Trying my best. But anyway, thanks for writing in. Plankodanko writes, I've been looking for a Go... Go (laughs) I've been looking for a Go podcast forever, and you made exactly what I've been wanting. Just a chill dude talking about his thoughts regarding the game. You're a great solo podcaster and speaker. I'll be listening as long as you keep doing it. Uh, Thanks for writing in. That's so nice to hear. I mean, I guess I'm a chill dude. (laughs) Um... But yeah, I, I, that's actually one of the reasons I started this whole thing, right? I, I always wanted a GOK podcast and I'm just like, why aren't there more GOK podcasts? Like I want to listen to ghost stuff. And, um, I'm just like, you know what? I, I guess I got to do it. I guess I got to do it. So thanks for writing in. Thanks for all your support. And if you want to be featured in a future listener mail segment of star point, um, just comment on whatever you're, wherever you're listening, uh, usually Reddit or YouTube, or Spotify, there's a little comment section in Spotify. And um, thanks for listening. Thanks f- to all the commenters and contributors. If you want something to think about for your response to this episode, the question of the day will be, do you like studying Joseki? Or what's your favorite Joseki? Let me know. And keep playing Go. See ya. <laughs>